Shall we look to the Lord before we go to the word? Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your son. You not only spoke to us your word through your servants in the past, through the patriarchs and the prophets, but Lord, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Thank you for your son. That's why we all are here, Lord. If your son hadn't come, our lives would have been different. Cut away from the commonwealth of Israel, without God, without hope. But in your son, you brought us all together. And this morning, we want to lift up your word. And your son, that is the living word. The spirit of God, I pray you would anoint me, strengthen me, and anoint all of us, Lord, that we may both hear and learn as you continuously teach us and prepare us for the coming of your son. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Remember this. And it's up there too. <sighs> Repent, revive, and to resist. If my people who are called by my name will turn, that's what repent means, to turn away and to turn towards God. When we do that, he starts pouring in his life. That's what revival is. You cannot have revival personally, corporately, without repentance. There's something that precedes, something that precedes revival. That's repentance. Most of us are looking for a revival without repentance. In the kingdom of God, it does not happen. There's something that always precedes. If you, if you, if you want new life, fresh life to flow in, something of the old that is undesirable has to go out. And that's constant if you are turning away and turning. And then there is an enemy. He's called a thief. The thief comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. And we need to learn how to resist. And honestly, much of the damages in our life that has occurred over the years and still keeps happening is we haven't learned to fight. We haven't learned properly, truly, how to resist the enemy. He's subtle. When he's introduced in scripture, the first time when he's introduced in scripture, that's in Genesis 3.1, the Bible says the serpent was more subtle, more subtle than all the others. So the first thing that is introduced about the devil is he is subtle. He's extremely wise too. Because when he was made, created by God, he was created perfect in wisdom. And then when he lost his position, that wisdom became warped. So don't ever think we can fight him and resist him and overcome him without the wisdom of God. Without the discernment that God. And if we don't have it, we're just, we're just being deceived. We're walking in deception. We wouldn't even know. You're walking in deception. So, 
And we saw a couple of weeks back the first and the second prophecies in the Bible. The first being Genesis 3.15, which is a declaration of war between two groups, the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And also it's a prophecy about the first coming of Jesus Christ. The first prophecy in the Bible is this. It talks about Jesus coming, the seed of the woman. The second prophecy, chronological order, is not found in the Old Testament. It is found in the New Testament, in the book of Jude. In Jude 1.14, Jude, because in order, he is the first human prophet. The first prophecy is by God himself prophesying about Jesus prophesying about his first coming. The second prophecy is by the third person in that order. Meaning there is Adam, the first generation. You have Abel and Cain. They didn't prophesy. The next one in that order is Abel. Sorry, Enoch. Enoch actually comes in the seventh generation. So for seven generations, there was no prophet. Seven generations. There was no prophet. There was no man found through whom God could speak. It took seven generations to find a man. A man who walked with God. And when he speaks, this is what he's speaking about Jesus' second coming. So all of history is caught between. Uh, D.P. Dead Prince would put it across as that Christianity rests on two mountain peaks. One is Calvary. The two mountain peaks. The cross. The first coming of Jesus Christ. And the second coming of Jesus Christ. The first coming was the cross. He came to go to the cross. The second coming. He's coming. Crowned. First time he came to judge sin. The second time he's coming to judge sinners. It's a whole lot of difference. The first time he came to judge sin. The second time he's coming to judge sinners. And between these two realities which we face every day, there's a realm like Citibank. City never sleeps. The demonic, they never sleep. They are working 24-7, even now, trying to distract you, trying to put your words thoughts into your mind so that you will stare fixedly at me while your minds are wandering all around the globe. That is his subtlety. That's why it is an exercise. It is a discipline. Okay, discipline. Okay, discipline is not easy. Okay, and only discipline makes disciples. And some of us have grown up disciplined in our indiscipline. And we struggle, but remember, Remember, he's subtle, the unseen realm, the invisible realm, the second heavens, as the Bible would call it, where there are millions and millions upon them, billions probably of demonic entities that deceive, they harass, they seduce humanity, they entice. You cannot escape this reality. Don't live in the fool's paradise. You have to learn to face it. Okay, there are certain things you have to accept. The demonic is real. Sin is real. Death is real. Judgment is real. You cannot escape this. 
Sin, you have to battle it. You have to exercise dominion. After you are born again, you have to learn how to exercise. Romans 6.14 says, we are not under the law, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Instead, what should have dominion? We should have dominion over sin, because you are not under the law, but under grace. We understand grace completely different. Grace means now bindas. No worry about sin. God says no. You've been rescued from the penalty of sin. Now grace is so that you exercise dominion over sin. Satan, resist him. First Peter 5, 8 and 9 says, be sober. When it comes to the devil, be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. What should we do? Resist him. Resist how? Steadfast in faith. Okay? Exercise the dominion over sin. Resist the devil and he shall flee from you. When it comes to the world, 1 John 5, 4 says, overcome. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. When it comes to this world system, overcome. When it comes to death, Hebrews 9, 27. When it comes to death, it is appointed for men to die once. Unless we are alive when Jesus comes, that particular saved, prepared generation, everybody else will face death. It's an appointment. You have to keep. You cannot cancel that appointment. You can postpone with so many medical things and all, but ultimately you will meet that appointment. And you should be prepared. Spiritually prepared. Should Everyone should be spiritually prepared for that day. Because that day, like nobody knows. Nobody knows. Should be prepared. That's an appointment. Then it comes to judgment. Okay, when it comes to death, death, face it bravely. When it comes to judgment, prepare. Second Corinthians talks. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Each one of us. So these are realities we have to face. Okay. And understand, as we are, we are very quickly, the clock is ticking away. We are coming literally to the very end of time. End of time. And the Bible is very clear. If God didn't shorten those days, even the very elect will not be saved. Okay. Now, our sister is starting something for young girls. Because we need just it is not an easy thing. You need to understand it's not an easy thing. So like yesterday, FDA has uh, given approval to Elon Musk's Neuralinks. You know what it is? Basically what it is? AI is coming in. And basically all these things in itself are neutral. But in the wrong hands, it becomes extremely dangerous. And that's basically what's happening. Basically it is putting these chips into your brain so people with memory loss, Alzheimer's, and see all of them, they can function properly. But you do not understand the capacity of these chips that are coming. They are like a supercomputer. 
They're like a soup. Imagine a chip like that in your brain. Your mind works like a supercomputer. And I'm telling you, the time is coming that if your child does not take that super, that chip, your child will be like a moron on the streets, will not be accepted anywhere. We are coming exactly to the time where the Bible is saying, if you don't take that mark, you will not be able to. And it is coming. It's, it's, it's got its approval yesterday by the FDA. They will first put it across talking to you only about the good side of it. Then they will make it compulsory. Like I said, there is nothing that can withstand what is coming except the Spirit of God. Nobody can withstand these things which are coming. So you need to understand why we spend so much time in prayer and in the ministry of the word. Because nobody else is going to survive the pressure that is coming. We are focusing so much on this secular education in this world without realizing what is knocking at our doorsteps. It will be irrelevant. Irrelevant. So we are coming to that. We are coming to that point. Things are happening so fast. Things are changing so fast that we have no clue unless God is with us and we are with God. And we are totally, completely sold out for God. And we are so continuously learned to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says we won't survive. So basically our job is to prepare as pastors to make the comfortable uncomfortable and the uncomfortable comfortable. Don't rest in your lease, as the Bible says. Because the battle, the Bible says, the battle in the end will be so intense because the devil knows, you and I do not know, the devil knows his time is very short. And he will come with great wrath. So, Mankind will be left with two choices. Actually, the church will be left with two choices. Resist or perish. Overcome or be overcome. Revelation 12, 11 says they overcame him. So what happens if we don't overcome the devil? He overcomes you. There are no third choice. No, I will be neutral. There is no neutrality here. This is a battle. Overcome or be overcome. Gather, Jesus will put it across differently. He says, gather or be scattered. So we will see this something which God says, the most important character trait, the believers who live in those last days, the most important character trait we will need is found in Matthew chapter 14, 24 and verse 13. He who endures to the end, Endurance. Endurance. And most people do not have the endurance even to listen to the message for 15 minutes without getting distracted. In a classroom, students, endurance. It's a facet of childhood that you haven't grown out of that mentality that you're not able to endure. Endure. And God says, this is the most important characteristic a believer will need in the last days. It is endurance. Endure. So we saw pictures. 
few weeks, we saw the picture of the last day's nature of man, Ahab, the weak man, Jezebel, the aggressive woman, and then there is Elijah, a different kind of a man, the different kind of spirit. If there is anybody in the entire Bible, especially the Old Testament, who is different from all the others, it is Elijah. He's the man of the hour. Elijah's character, that character, is there in the Old Covenant, in the New Covenant, and it says he will come again. Okay, Elijah. When we are introduced to this man, why we need this man, why we spend time learning this man is that God has used this man as a picture to teach us. How do you become the person who will endure till the last and come through? Those days that are right here, we are living in those days. In First Kings 17 and verse 1, we are introduced to this man. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, no introduction. No introduction. Who is he? Where did he come from? Who is his father? Who is his mother? Nothing. We only know he's from the mountain country of Gilead. That's all we know. That's who he is. That's all. Okay. It doesn't mean he doesn't have a father. He doesn't have a mother. But Jesus said there are some who have made themselves spiritual eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. They have family. They love their family, yet they are also detached for the purpose of God. They will not let family ties stop them from following and serving God. That's Elijah. That's the kind of people who will survive. They are loyal to their families. They take care of their families, but they also are absolutely sold out for God. And they will make no compromise for that. So Elijah is introduced to us. Out of the blue, he just steps forward. And the first thing that you see is, he's standing before the king. So where was he all this while? Hidden. Hidden. And God releases him. Meaning your background is irrelevant. God is not a respecter of persons. You are hidden by God. And God was working on you. And at God's appointed time, he will release you. But till he releases you, can you stay hidden? All we know him before this point, all we know him comes thousands of years later to the revelation in the new covenant. In James 5.16, it says, yeah, 17 also. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And verse 17 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was just like us. Just an ordinary man. But with a difference. He prayed. That's where Elijah differs from us. He was a man who prayed. He was a man who prayed. He was a man of his times that prayed, who saw the situation and he prayed. And therefore God could speak through him. He looked at the condition of the world. He looked at what was happening in his times and he prayed. And because he prayed and he prayed with a burden, God puts a word and a solution for the situation into his heart. And the next time you see him, he's standing before the king and he's prophesying. So this is his beginning. 
Elijah the Tishbite in 17.1, you see the beginning. Elijah the Tishbite came and stood before Ahab and says, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be a dew nor rain these years except at my word. That's his beginning. And his end is 2 Kings 2.11. Then it happened as they continued on and talked. Suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. The second rapture that takes place in the Bible after Enoch. Okay, everybody is waiting for rapture, right? Look at a man who was taken up. There was a separation that took place. So he, we see him first standing before the king, Sandana. We see him standing before the That's what I said. You can be so conscious and your mind be away somewhere else. Even biting the pencil very studiously. Okay. Focus. Endure. Endure me. 17.1. You see him. And you suddenly see him taken away. He will come. Hundreds of years later on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James and John will see Elijah with Moses. He will come again in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 3. That's my assumption. I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. My two witnesses. I believe these are the two people who got raptured in the Old Testament. One is Enoch, the other is Elijah. It's appointed unto every man to die once. These are not the rapture generation. They were a generation who should have died. So two people haven't died. They have to come back. My two witnesses, Enoch and Elijah. So Enoch must have been uncomfortable being clothed in sackcloth, but Elijah was. Because he was used to that kind of garments. But Enoch also has to get used to it. In verse 4 and to 6, they endured with enormous power. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. These are the ones who are standing before the God of the... What did Elijah's first words that comes out of his mouth to Ahab? I who stand before God. I who stand before God. And again it's repeated, stand before. If anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. If anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as the desire. Because of this turning into blood, some people will say it is Moses and Elijah because Moses came. But Moses died. Moses died. You can only die once. You cannot die twice. Because what will happen in verse 7 and 8, you will see, when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. So if it is Moses, he has to be killed a second time. Which scripturally is not possible, you only die once. And then, their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, that is Jerusalem, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt. Where also our Lord was crucified. That's how we know. It's talking about Jerusalem as Sodom. And then, 
The next verses. Now after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. And they stood on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. So like I said, if you actually read the Bible, there are many raptures that will take place. It is just not one. This is a different rapture, a rapture for just two people. And everybody will see them as something. So Elijah is a very, very important person. If we study Elijah, we will understand what is that God is looking for. What do I need to survive these times? What do I need? If you turn to Malachi again, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Behold, I will send my messenger. Okay, if you, you have to notice, look, just not read the words. Also, whether it's small letter or capital. My messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Who is that? The spirit of Elijah on John and later. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger. That messenger is not John. That's the spirit of God. It's a big M. Of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And then God asks two questions, rhetorical questions. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? Two words. Who can endure? Who can stand? Two words which are important. Because if you study the scripture. Now this is not talking about the days. Can you endure and allow the spirit of God to complete his work in you? Can you stand it? Because it's not going to be easy. Because he is like the refiner's fire and the launderer's soap. But again, the two words are used. Enduring and standing. And if you read the prophetic about the last days in both Matthew 24 or Luke 21. Matthew 24, 13 will use the word endure. And if I'm right, Luke 21, 36 says that we have to come through all this and stand before God. So these two words are used, endure and stand. Endure and stand. So that's where we see Elijah is the man of the hour. And he's teaching us, every one of us, that's our struggle. Can we come through the teaching? The life lessons, the life process God is trying to put all his children through. We don't understand these things. We will not have meaning for our life. We will be just deceived like most people in the church. I mean, we're not talking about the world. Leave the world aside. We have nothing for them except one word. Turn and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not talking about the, the world. We're talking about the church. Because if you read the book of Revelation, and Christ's letter to the seven churches. Five of the seven churches had that command to repent. Five out of the seven. Only two churches, God had nothing to say. So please remember, we are not talking to the world. We are talking to the church. So we have this picture. Now we will turn to First Kings chapter 17 and verses 1. We read verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Kerith, which flows into Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. 
So when he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Kerith, which flows into the Jordan, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. This is how journey of Elijah begins. Okay, begins. There are four stages primarily in Elijah's life. One is hidden, we don't know. The next is Kerit. The next will be Zarephath. The next will be Carmel. And finally at the end we will see on one side of Jordan. And he's taken. And we have to see what God did with this man in each of these places, in between and each of these places to learn how do I get ready for the days that not coming are upon us, are upon us. How am I going to endure? Who shall endure? Who can stand? So there is a preparation. Elijah is being prepared. And most things happen to us because we are not prepared. We are not prepared. We are not, we are not prepared for appointments and eventualities which we cannot avoid. Some things you can postpone. Like after sin came in, what set in? Corruption set in. Corruption, deterioration set in. You can take it and put it in the fridge for some time or in the freezer for some time. But you cannot reverse it. Corruption is irreversible. And we see that every day when we look into our mirrors, that corruption is setting in, and yet we are not preparing for eventualities that is coming, that has been prophesied. I said, this book, you missed this book. You are doomed. Because one third of this book is prophecy. It foretells very clearly. Jesus said to his disciples, what I tell you, I tell everyone. Watch and pray. Not even a dot, he said, from this word will fall. Everything will come to pass. And we are the ones who have been given that word so that we are prepared when that time and that day comes. So there is a preparation. We have to be prepared to endure those, those days. To stand when the day of evil comes upon us. And when everything is over, found standing. And one thing we will always find connected with Elijah is he stands. He stands. He doesn't buckle under pressure. He stands. We learned need to how to endure, how to stand, how to resist. Now the word has gone from God through his mouth. What is going to come is drought, salmon, desolation, and terrible times. These are general words prophesied through the prophet to all of Israel. So he speaks to the king. You can't go all around Israel. There is no media like we have today. So the, to the king it is spoken. Because if the head hears, the rest of the body should know. So God speaks through his servant to the king and says, this is what I prophesy. No rain, no dew. What is the result? There will be drought. There will be famine. There will be death. There will be desolation. There will be terrible times. Terrible times. And we have been told in the last days, not terrible, there will be Perilous times. 
perilous time. And a whole list is taking, given in the Bible, in three different gospels of what will happen outside and what will happen inside of man, both outside. The deterioration outside and the deterioration inside, both are very clearly mentioned. So he says, if you do not have, if you are not moved by the outward witness, then be shaken by the inward witness. Lord, why am I like this? Why am I not able to hear the word? Why am I not able to, why have I no desire to pray? You said watch, I have no interest in watching. Why am I lost? Why am I distracted? Why is that I can pay attention to everything else, but when the word of God comes, what is happening to me? Why is that when pressure comes, I buckle so easily? Why? Because we are not allowing the Holy Spirit. That's why the Bible says, who can endure? Who can stand? Why? Because he's the refiner's fire. He's the launderer's soap. So there is a general prophecy that is given in verse 1. But if you go to verse 2 and 3, to the obedient servant of God, it is not a general prophecy. It's a very specific prophecy. What does he say? Then the word of the Lord came to him. Then, not before. After he had done what he was told to do. Otherwise it is not faith. It is sight. After he's prepared, Elijah, go to King Ahab, say all this. And after you have finished saying this, don't worry, I've prepared. No, he says, first go speak. First go do what I told you to do. Once he has spoken, the word of the Lord comes to him. The word of the Lord came to him saying, get away from here, turn eastward and hide by the brook Kerith, which flows into the Jordan. Specific word. It is not spoken to everyone. It is only spoken to those who are obedient. To those who are not obedient, you have a general word. What is the prophecy of disaster, not the prophecy of protection? There are two, both are prophecies. One is of disaster. The other is protection in the middle of the dis- destruction, of the disaster. General prophecy is given to all of Israel. Disaster is coming. What is? No rain, no dew. The man who is obedient, he says, it will happen. But you will be protected. He's given direction. Hebrews 12 and verse 1. Okay, and we'll come back. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with what? Endurance. Again, endurance comes. There are two things mentioned over there. Weight and sin. Elijah is a righteous man. The fervent, earnest prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's how Elijah is introduced by James. So he's a righteous man. So he does not have sin to get. See, righteous people also will be put through the fire by God. Why? They may not have sins, but they have weights. You may be, you may be saying, but I'm very conscious about the fact I do not sin. But you may not sin, but you may be carrying a lot of weight, which will not allow you to endure when the time comes. Which will not allow you to stand when the, because you will come under that weight. 
So even though Elijah is a righteous man, he's a praying man, God is going to put him through the ringer. He has to get rid of weights. The most, what does God tell him? Go back to 17, verse 2 and 3. Get away from here. So important. Listen to what God is telling this man. Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Kerith, which flows into the Jordan. What is it telling him? The most famous Old Testament prophet has just made his first prophetic utterance. That too, before the king. The next thing he knows is, immediately he shut down. Immediately he shut down. Can you ever imagine anything like that? Messi scores a goal in the football World Cup. Next thing the coach calls him and benches him for the rest of the match. Sit down. Now, Elijah has prophesied. Now he has to learn endurance. God is going to get rid of weights in his life. And he says, hide by the brook, Kerith, which flows into the Jordan. And verse 3, he says, for I have commanded, yeah, verse 4, verse 4, I have commanded ravens, he says, I have commanded ravens to feed you. It's interesting. Commanded blessings are not for everybody. And have commanded the ravens. Commanded blessings are not for everybody. Commanded blessings are for the obedient. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of desolation, in the midst of famine, in the midst of drought, God says, I have commanded. There are two kinds of obedience. One is called convenient obedience. The other is called costly obedience. Most are used to convenient obedience. They obey God when it is convenient. That's why when the worship begins, half the church is empty. Because it's very convenient. But to be in church before time is costly. Every day, every time the church gathers, it is not convenient, it's costly. I'm telling you only one tiny part of our spiritual walk. Because like the Chinese proverb, a journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. And suddenly you will realize, is my obedience convenient or is my obedience costly? Obedient or costly? Obedient or costly? Ask. Commanded blessings are for those who have counted the cost and willing to pay the price. So to that sad man, God says, turn his word, go hide by the brook chariot, and I have commanded. I have commanded. We are at war 24-7. Making of an apostle or prophet. It's not easy. Every weight you will be asked to shed. You know what the word kerit means? 
Kerith means cutting away. The prophet is going to be in a place and he is going to be chiseled. He is going to be cut away. He is going to be shaped. Not an ordinary man. The prophet, the righteous man, the man of fervent prayer is going to Kerith. Lot of things God sees what we don't see. We don't see. God says you need a cutting away. That's not what we think. You come, you prophesy before the king and you're already counting your next ministry. I'm going to go on a tour of Israel. I'll be prophesying in Jerusalem, prophesying in Jericho, prophesying, prophesying. And God says go to Jericho and sit down. Why is he being put through this ringer? Because we will know only three and a half years later. Three and a half years later, he is the only man who can stand before the demonic. Hundreds and hundreds of prophets of Baal and Asherah, all the people standing in the middle, the king and the army against him. He is the only man who can withstand the powers of darkness and is able to stand alone. Because he had to go through this process. And we are living in a time when principalities and powers and rulers of darkness have taken literally every system that operates in this world. And God says, will you be able to withstand? If you don't withstand, I'm telling you, you may end up in hell. Because there are only two choices. Overcome or be overcome. Because when the pressure comes, people buckle under pressure. So the last generation has to be prepared like any other generation before. Because there will be only two choices. What are the choices? Take the mark or die. Take the mark or die. I'll show you a portion in the book of Revelation. Which was impossible till today. Impossible. That's what I said. The Bible has been unsealed. But... It was sealed by time. Revelation 13. And verse 15. Got it? He was was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. That the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. What is it? Image. An image of a beast that speaks? Why is everybody panicking and says AI should be shut down for a season? Because the machines will take over. This did not make any sense till this year. If year 2020 was the year of COVID, the first lockdown, global lockdown, preparation for the Antichrist. The year 2023 was the introduction of artificial intelligence, the beast that will speak. And we are sitting like Dummies in the church not getting ready for what is coming. Thinking about a career in the world when everything will be controlled by AI. Right before our eyes things that are prophesied. Impossible for mankind to understand. Suddenly things are making sense in 2023. It is coming. It is coming. It is here. It is here. Right here before our eyes it is here. And once it takes over, it will take over, control everything. They wouldn't want you for your jobs because the mission will do it better than you. You want to do better than the machine or as good as the machine. You see, if you considered your sex, 
male is superior to female, you were called a sexist. If you considered your race to be better than that race, you are called a racist. But there is only the human species. And Larry Page, the founder of Google, or which one is that, Larry Page? Google, he walked away from, I don't know which one he does, because that other person said, humans are superior to artificial intelligence machines. He said, you are a speciesist. New word has been coined, because the machine is a species now. Right before our eyes, just a few weeks back, the machine is a species which can think and act on its own and should not be considered inferior to human beings. We are living in those days where there will be demons, humans, and machines coming together. The only ones who will come through are the ones who have learned like Elijah, gone through the process and surrendered how to stand. And that's why our sister is starting something for girls. Because they are vulnerable, very vulnerable. They are very, very vulnerable. The girls are vulnerable because the reigning spirit over these last days is the spirit of Jezebel. Where women are no longer women. Men are no longer men. Passive men and aggressive women. And now you have a mess that is happening over around the world. And we have to protect our children. We have to change, be very careful what they see, what they watch, what they hear. They have to be men and girls of the word and not of the world because the entire world lies under the sway of the wicked one. How is it going to lie under? There's a time coming very soon where the entire world will be controlled by machines. They will know everything. Be very sure, unless God puts a foot on the brake, it will be digital currency. Nothing else. You will not be able to buy and sell. Everything will be monitored by machines. Within seconds, hours, years, they will have an entire profile of you. How you think, how you, they will be able to figure it out. Everybody will be monitored. Like in China, you will get credit scores. If you are social credit scores, where if the government approves of you, your score goes up. You can buy more. But if government does not approve of you, credit goes down, you buy less. How will the church come through? That is what Jesus said, if those days were not shortened, even those who were elect before the foundation of the world would not be able to come through. Because they would be, they would stumble under this pressure and give in. So take the word of God, the prophecies of God seriously. And God, Jesus said, all I have told everybody, watch, watch carefully. He said, keep an eye on what's happening in the world and keep a closer eye on what has been prophesied in the word of God and we will see we are living in those times. We want to come through? You will need all of God, not less, all of God. So here is a man. What is he told? Get away from here. Get away from what is here? The palace, the publicity. He's standing before the king at the palace. Get away from here. And turn eastward and hide. Okay. Not reveal, but hide. Once we have one gift, we want to be revealed. He says, go hide. Hide. Go hide. 
and where he is told the conditions are going to be very harsh, he is going to be isolated. There is no companionship in Kerith. It is Kerith which will prove to each one, if you go through that process, who is Lord? Is it Christ or self? Me tell you, most Christians will not graduate from Kerith. They will not. They cannot handle Kerith. Because they were not prepared. They were not spiritually, mentally prepared for this. But there is nobody in the Bible whom God has used ultimately in their generation who could escape Kerith. They all had to go through that. And verse 3 says very clearly, get away from here and hide. What is that? Hide. It is not I will hide you. You hide. It is not that I will deny you. Deny yourself. It is not I will humble you. Humble yourself. It is not I will cleanse you. Cleanse yourself. It is in carrot that death of self takes place. Your self life will either die or you will leave carrot before your time. Hide thyself. We like to sing the other song now. Hide me. Now God says, no, hide yourself. Hide yourself. Shut him out. Sit down there quietly. But Lord, don't you know I'm gifted? I know. Sit, sit down there. You know I can play better than Messi. Yes, sit on the bench there now. Will we graduate from Kenneth? Elijah, the brightest light in the darkest hour. Now is the time to go on a prophetic tour. Show them the proofs of my prophecy. That's why most on these TV fellows will pray for somebody and then come and give your testimony. It is not about Jesus. It is the proof of my miraculous power. I came with a headache. Now when pastor prayed, my headache disappeared and he takes the glory and at the last day, Jesus, thank you. This is what he should have been doing, right? Until the word of the Lord comes from my mouth, there shall be no rain, no dew. And rain stops. That is okay. Rains come in season. But from that day morning, there is no dew. So he could go and to each town and says, Behold the word of the Lord from his servant. Look at the ground. When he woke up in the morning, was there dew? No, I am the prophet of God. No, he says, sit down. Sit down quietly. He could have shown the proof of his prophecy, right? Instead, do you know what God did? God shut him down. and Put him on the bench. At the age of 12, when we encountered Jesus in the temple, the Bible says, he was listening to the scribes and the teachers and he was asking questions and they were amazed at his understanding. At the age of? And then the father shut him down for 18 years. At 12, he could have preached. He could have given the scribes in the temple a run for their money at 12. And he told his adopted parents, 
Don't you know I am at my father's business? It's a young boy who knew his word, knew the spirit, knew the scriptures, knew his profession. And God shut him down for 18 years. Elijah will later come down after three and a half years from Mount Horeb. He will put his mantle upon Elisha. Elisha says, can I go and say goodbye to daddy and mommy? He says, what do I got to do with you? And then he kills the oxen, follows Elijah for the next 18 years. Elisha is shut down. You hear nothing about Elisha. 18 years later, when Elijah is taken, when Elisha is revealed, he's a different man. Because for 18 years, the weights have been shed. He has been cut down. Cut down. And he picks up exactly where Elijah left. The mantle falling is not just symbolic. Elijah, where he stopped, he starts from there. Because he allowed God to shut him down. Can we allow God to do those things in us so that we can be prepared for that day when it comes and the day is here? We are not afraid. Obedience that is costly. Obedience that is painful. Hebrews 5.8 Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. It was not easy, it was costly. It was costly. You allow God to chip away those things in the flesh. Chip away. Each one of these things have to be chipped away. It is not easy. It is difficult. He will put you through Kerith, that valley. And you alone know what God is doing with you. You alone, God will show you the things that are happening inside. He says, this is a dead weight. Lord, what did I do? He says, you didn't do anything. But there is a weight because of which I cannot do anything. It's not about you do. Did I sin? God says, no. It's got a weight because I cannot work on you until you get rid of this weight. And only God knows. Only God knows. He's hidden. But he's being prepared. He's been lightened. And being sharpened. You take a reed. And then you. The reed is becoming light. But it's also being sharpened. Look at Isaiah 49 and verse 2. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he has hidden me. In the shadow of his hand, he has hidden me. He made me a polished shaft. In his cure, he has hidden me. We think arrows just automatically happen. No, they don't happen. They're picked, they're chosen, they're shaped, they're hidden, and the appointed time it is released. And he's hidden, but God is working on him. He's working on him. You know, Isolation is one of the most difficult tests you will have to go through before God, not man, God can appoint you to a position of leadership. That is isolation. We don't like isolation. We like to be in the crowd. Ask this question. Will you be able to stand alone one day and obey God or you will give in to the crowd? Do you always need to walk in the shadow of somebody who is always prodding you to do this? What happened? Let's keep asking. What happened to the GSS voice? What happened to the GSS voice? 
when the shadow was lifted, they just fell apart. They just fell apart. What happened to them? Why are they irregular? Irregular. They come, they don't come, they come late, they leave early. What happened to them? What happened to 12 years, 13 years, 14 years of training? It never went in. It stayed out. The same thing can happen to anyone here. You will know when you leave church. One day you leave church and God moves you somewhere or you move on your own. Suddenly you realize, did I learn anything? Did my spirit, my soul, my my mind, did I discipline myself? Can you stand alone? Look at a young man. Second Kings chapter 12. Jehoash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days when in which Jehoiada, the priest instructed him. There was a priest. It's a young man. And the priest instructed him and he did right in all the things of the Lord because he is walking under the shadow of a priest. Now turn to another time in his life which is found in Second Chronicles. 2417. Now after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king and the king listened to them. Therefore they left the house of the Lord of the God of their fathers, served wooden images and idols. Wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespasses. What happened here? What happened to Jehoash? One man went missing in his life. The priest went missing in the life and he reverted to the norm. Reverted to the norm. That's why I said, by salvation, you are called saints. But most saints cannot handle Kerith. Either they will not hide, and they will start projecting themselves, and then like a meteor burn up, they were burnt out. They did not remain burning, because they wanted to be revealed, they wanted to project themselves, and so they will get burnt out, because they could never be hidden. Or they will quit. Or they will peak too early and burn out. Gerith is a place of cutting away. I don't know who is going through Gerith. But stay in Gerith. Let the weights be removed one by one by one. It's a division that God does from man unto God. From fellowshipping with men to fellowshipping with God alone. From the food of men to be fed by God himself. From favor with men to favor with God alone. It is the test of your faith. It is at that place your faith will be built up to face that day at Carmel. Remember the destination is Carmel where you will face the hosts of hell so that the people can turn back to God. In Jude 1.20, the Bible says, Therefore, brethren, beloved, building yourself on your most holy faith. Kerith will build your faith. If you come through Kerith, if you can come through that Kerith, we don't know how long that season will be. Each one, it will be different. Moses, it was 40 years. For Elijah, it was probably an year. Jacob, it was 20 years. For Joseph, it was 13 years. For John the Baptist, it was 30 years. For Jesus, it was 18 years. First revelation, then hidden. Each one, we don't know. 
But you have, you cannot circumvent that process. Kerith is a determined place of God for every sin. You skirt this, you quit at Kerith, you will never finish your race. You may be saved. You will never finish your race. You cannot avoid Kerith and finish the race. And so many even in this church have quit. They have quit. They are not able to handle the pressure. They are not able to handle the pressure. Can you handle it? Can you handle it? Do you know what pressure is? Can you handle it? Men, can you handle pressure? The pressure of work? Men is called to work. Can you handle the pressure of work? Adam was called to work. Sisters, can you handle the pressure of motherhood? Because the Bible says a woman is saved through childbearing, meaning motherhood is through which her sanctification takes place. Can you handle that pressure? Can you handle it? How many mothers can handle pressure of motherhood? How many men can handle the the pressure of work? The Gentiles recognize his God was with him, with Joseph at his workplace. Not when he prophesied. Not when he interpreted a dream. At his workplace, they realize his God is with him. Can we handle it? That no weights, you carry no weights. Yes, my father didn't think about me. My brother sold me. And this woman has tried to seduce me. No excuses at your workplace. Have you shut down all those excuses? Have you shut down all that weight? Oh, I studied in a Telugu medium school. My parents did not send. No excuses. God says he's not a respectful person. No excuses. Respect of persons. Have you shut down all that weight and say, Lord, here I am. Endurance. Are we allowing God to build in endurance into our system? To endure? Ask ourselves. Endure. His ways are not our ways. We don't even understand. Because in verse 6 it says, 17.6 it says, Ravens brought him. Mama didn't cook for him. This is the first swiggy in the Bible. Ravens brought food for him. All your preconceptions had to be thrown out. Lord, you are isolating me. You're cutting away things from my life. How I'm going to survive? He says, that's not your problem. That's my problem. Your problem is obedience. You're trying to sit in my seat and think about provision. He says, that's not your problem. That's my problem. A lot of people are sitting in God's seat. And therefore, they handle, find that seat is too hot to handle because you can't sit in God's throat. How will I provide? God says, that's my problem, not your problem. Your problem is sit in the seat chair of obedience. That's your problem. See, never try to sit in God's chair. You will realize it's a difficult chair to sit in. His ways are not our ways. Ravens are notorious thieves. For us who come from Kerala, it's full of crows and ravens. 
When you are a child, if you grow up in Kerala and if you don't have school, your job is to stand with a stick while your grandmother is cleaning the fish. Because while she's cleaning, that fellow will pluck and go. Now that thief has been ordered to feed the prophet. On top of that, the thief is unclean. According to the law. They brought him bread and meat in the evening. Only twice a day. Pastor Elijah, I like your prayer life. Very good discipline. Now add the discipline of fasting also. to Fast one meal. How many of you are willing to fast one meal starting today? One meal. It's part of preparation. That's how he prepared his servant. God said, you will eat only twice. He gave him only two meals. No snacks in between. And filter coffee in the evening. No. Two meals. You have to dust, you drink water. Not Sprite. Bread, meat, he drank from the brook. Do you have a discipline? A discipline? No. Can you handle this? Fathers, men, can you handle this? Mothers, can you handle this? Can you handle hopes? Okay. Like I said, she just passed away two days back. You should have seen her. A disciplined lady. Five children. The eldest is only four years older than the youngest. I'm just four years younger than the eldest, brother. We're just one, one year different. Five children. 1963. In Timpu, where there is no heating, nothing. The coldest, one of the coldest cities in Bhutan. In that year, 1963, with three children. And working. Five children. And working. No mixy. No pressure cooker. No gas. And five children. Ultimately five children. And a father who will never change his taste buds like his son. And he never missed a meal of his liking. The, wooden, the stone thing in which you make your dosa batter went from Kerala to Bhutan. Five days journey in four trains. The one which you grind your masala went from Kerala to Bhutan for one man to eat the meal because she would not compromise either on the fact she was his wife or the, the fact that she was the mother or with the students whom she taught in their hundreds. Can you handle it? And she didn't, go, she didn't know God, but she had Christianity without Christ. Can you handle it? And it didn't matter. Early morning I wake up and go there, she says. Go run around the school five times and come and then you'll get your breakfast. And I miss nothing. The water is cold, there is no heating and you are this child who doesn't like cold water so you wash your feet and wet your hair and trying to run and she catches you on the way and said, go back. Go back. No, no tuitions, nothing. Sit in the kitchen while I'm making my dinner and read your book there. I'm watching you from one eye. That was me. The one who grew up with her. That's discipline. 
Only thing she did not have was she did not know Christ. That's why she, God brought her, like my father, brought her to me. And she stayed with us seven years. Until the last minute, she lived that way with discipline. Because if you look at her journal, you will see that discipline. Discipline. And all the morning, she will get up as usual, read her daily readings, write her notes, everything. And a person who was prepared for her death, like I said, as much spiritually as picked the sari, told my wife, this is a sari I want to wear. And said, this is the socks which my one son brought for me. My second son brought for me. That's the socks you will put for me. My younger son brought the shawl from Bhutan. Cover my head with that. These are the flowers I want. And these are the songs to be sung at my funeral. As prepared. This is discipline. One way or other. It's a different generation. It's a different generation. And... God took that generation away. And we are supposed to be the last generation. And all hell is going to break loose against us. And how are we going to survive? In Malayalam we say, One and one and a half children, we are already collapsing. One, one and a half children. They had five children. Six children, seven children, eight children. And they did well. We didn't need TV. There was no TV. We did not have video games. We invented our own games. We didn't go out to eat. Didn't order food from outside. None of these things were there available. See, things matter. Discipline matters. In every area. It matters. Even the prophet is being put through that. Is going through Kerith. Still remember when I was in class 5. I complained to my mother. I wouldn't dare ever to complain to my father. It was an impossibility. (laughs) Whether your complaint was genuine or not. It is irrelevant. You don't complain to your father. You go through your mother. I told mom, this is not fair. Why is that in every paper I get two marks or three marks less than the first? I know I have done better than him. See, at that age, you are a social justice warrior. She said, it's because your father is a principal and I am one of your teachers. So they will say, it's partiality. So we will put you down. Learn to sit down. I didn't know Kerith was going in my life in class five. She said, but I give you an option. Class 5 is common board exam in Bhutan. 5, 8, and 10, and 12 are board exams. At every board exam, they screen and let only some go to the higher class because education is completely subsidized by the government. He says, if you can prove that you are first in every subject except the national language, which is Zongkha, I will give you my watch. Watch is something nobody had. There are only two watches in the entire town. My father's and my mother's. I looked at her watch and I said, really? She said, yes, prove yourself. Board exam came, results came, I proved myself. And he wouldn't believe. And she gave me her watch, HMT sauna with the gold chain and all sauna. I still remember HMT sauna because how can you forget your class 5 boy gets the only watch in town? 
Like I said earlier, I walked two days like this so that everybody would notice. I couldn't bring the hand down. You know, I still remember that watch. You wouldn't believe. I forgot my watch in the church office. And this morning when I went to my cupboard, my wife had put my mother's watch over there. Practically exactly the same. Only thing, this is citizen and sauna. Even the chain is exactly the same. And I said, wow, this is what I got in class 5. I'm going to wear this from now. Exactly. 50 years later, you get almost an identical one. There. You know what? When the result came and the mark sheets came from the headquarters to the school, first thing she checked is the marks. I promised my son something. Did he come? And she checked and found I had come first in all. Where She took her watch off right there and said, this is yours. We want everything freely. Don't work for it. Don't strive for it. Don't burn the midnight oil for it. Give it free. I deserve it. Social justice warriors. To the prophet, God says, go sit in Kerit. Let me cut it away. Cut it away. You know what's going to happen at Kerith? Really what happens in Kerith, that place, our vision changes. Before Kerith, you are used to seeing big things. Palaces, gates, walls, kings, royal robes, chariots and horses. Now you start noticing little brooks and ravens. We are so caught up in that dazzle of the world, we forget the little things that matter in life, everyday life. Everyday life. The little things that matter. We are forgetting the little things and the little people. The prophet has to be taught to take notice of the little things. He would have seen the little birds. Why? God is preparing for a ministry. But it is not the ministry he is thinking about. Because probably a year later when the brook dries, God will say, now turn, arise and go dwell in Zarephath. Because I have commanded a widow. And her dying son. See, our vision has to change. Everybody wants a platform. Everybody wants a platform. Elijah was given a platform. And once he has spoken, he was shut down so that he will start seeing life differently. Life differently. Everybody wants a platform. Everything is mega. Superstar is gone. Now it is all megastar. The church has come. It has to be a mega church. And you have to be a mega preacher. And a mega worship leader. And the son of man walks through the sunlight. The heat of the day. Sends his disciples all away. Sits by the well. For a woman who is married and divorced five times. And is living with her boyfriend. Sixth one. One person. Elijah, the servant of the Son of God, is going to be sent to one widow. 
But he is not ready for that. He has to be cut down to size. There are weights we needed to be taken out. So it was not a coincidence that on the day I buried my mother on the Hindu online, the article came. I looked at it and my sister sent him a look and said, wow, <laughs> today of all days is written, Mr. James and Mrs. James. And my sister has written something about, which is true. <laughs> Do you understand in a country where education has just come in? And they are basically both education, that's a principle. They are practically going and starting off system. The children have to be bought from the villages. You know, I would wake up in the morning because mom and dad slept in the front room. They gave me the bedroom, not for my sake, but for the sake of the kids. They were racing up in the school. Three beds together, it was some this thing. And I would wake up and find at least six or seven of the Bhutanese kids sleeping next to me. They raised me up among them. And she cooked for all of them. And taught them along with me. That's why I always used to tell. Be careful with people like that. Our words will not make any. They have lived that life. Be very careful when you live your lives before them. Because they can see the fake from the true. So it's not easy. <laughs> She lived that and taught all of them. I still remember in the year 1989, when I, 88, when I went for, for my first interview, I applied, I interviewed. I came and the inspector of schools interviewed me and I was selected. Then I was walking down the road, screech. I started hearing cars stop and I thought, okay, what am I walking on the road? I was on the side pavement and I saw cars stopping and people coming out and I looked at them and they looked at me and said, are you Mr. James' son? I said, yes. And they held my hand. And they were officers in the government. They said, because of your mother and your father, we are where where we are today. You know? It's a different generation. Any sphere, any place you go, they live their lives like that. They live their lives like that. What I'm asking is, why do we, it is, let me look at it. Whenever I read something that's powerful, I will always copy it so that. This is Herbert Humphrey. I don't know whether you have heard about him. Herbert Humphrey was the president of uh, U.S. Vice President 1965 to 69 at the Herbert Humphrey Building Dedication, D.C., number 1, 1977. Humphrey spoke about the treatment of the weakest members of society as a reflection of the government. The moral test of the government is how the government treats those who are in the dawn of life, the children, those who are in the twilight of life, the elderly, and those who are in the shadows of life, the sick, the needy, and the handicapped. The government rests upon his shoulder, therefore upon our shoulders, and we are judged by how we treat our little children, our old parents, and the sick. Not by how we deal with normal people. Because this is where women fight for the right to kill their babies. And people fight for euthanasia to kill the elderly. 
That's the age we are living in. Ask yourself. It's only for a season, carrot. But he was isolated. Entirely dependent upon God. Elijah probably sang the song, I need thee, oh how I need thee, every hour. I need thee. In 1 Kings 19.14, he makes a statement to God, factually wrong. I have been very zealous for the Lord, God of your hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. Now we will always say, God said, no, there are 7,000 others who did not bow their knees. That is a truth only known to God. That's not a truth known to Elijah. What's the truth Elijah is living in? I'm the only, but he still refused to buckle. Still refused to buckle. What if you are the only one in your generation? What if you are the only one in your class? What if you are the only one in your office? Will you bend your bow? Or will you stand? Elijah thought he was the only one left in the entire nation. And he still refused to buckle under pressure. You know what prepared him? It's carried that has prepared him. God told him, hide, not abide. Hide in, carry it, not abide. But after some time, you know, people start liking carrot Because food is free. Food is free. Water is there anyway for, I don't care people. Water is coming, food is free. We are like Peter. Elijah comes. Moses comes. Right? He says, let us make three tabernacles and dwell here. After some time, people start getting... No longer they want home food. They want mess food. Because they are used to the mess. Because life is a mess. Comfortable. Why is he dealing us with carrot? Verse 8. Then the and 9. Okay. When then the word of the Lord came to him saying. What is he selling? Arise. And go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. There is a widow there and her son. Scraping at the bottom of the barrel. Do you know what it means? Look at Revelation, how Jesus described the churches. One church description, Revelation 3, 1 and 2. To the angel of the church in Sardis, what does he say? I know your works. You have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. This church is a widow. She's got a name, she's alive, but because she, but she is dead. Look at another church, the final church, 317. It's unbelievable, 317. I always look at 317, I'm stunned. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, 
and do not, this is what scares me, do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I mean, how can you not know that you are wretched? How can you not know you are miserable? How can you not know you are poor? How can you not know you are blind? How can you not know you are naked? That means you are completely deceived. The deception of the age. This church is so completely deceived. God is saying, not that you are rich and miserable, poor and blind and naked. No, that you do not know. You do not know. How much more can you be self-deceived? You do not know that you are wretched. Not that you are wretched. You do not know you are wretched. You are sitting there in church saying that I am, you are so comfortable, I don't need anything. But God says you don't know your actual reality. You do not know. It's a dangerous place to be. A church that is a widow. Another church that is a widow. What is that? You got a reputation of being? Alive, but you are dead. And I have put you in Kerith. For what? So that I can send you to them. Like I said, don't think your career. Kerith is a place where we don't change our circumstances, but we change. When you are in Kerith, which is a hard place, Isolated place with a little stream bubbling by, no resources. You have to depend upon the ravens, strange ways of God to take care of you. Your circumstances don't change, but you change. We're always praying for our circumstances to change. Change my location, change, 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 change. God says, no, you change. Once you change, I will change your location. But if you change your location before you change, you know what you are taking? You are taking your blindness and misery to that place. Nothing changes, only location changed. You can never run away from your problems because it will run with you. It will run with you. Everybody is trying to change location. They are not trying to allow God to change them. Allow God to change them. In the meantime, do you know what is happening in the land? Do you know what's happening in the land? Terrible times. Terrible times. It's no rain, no dew. People are scrambling for water. Famine has started. All are wondering, what did God do? What did God do? He shut the prophet down. There is famine in the land. There is drought in the land. Prophet is nowhere to be seen. When you need the prophetic the most, prophetic is missing. And who? Hid him? God did. Psalm 74 talks about this in verse 7, 8 and 9. They have set fire to your sanctuary. They have defiled the dwelling place of your name to the ground. They said in their hearts, let us destroy them altogether. They have burned up all the meeting places of God in the land. What did God do? They do not see our signs. There is no longer any prophet, nor is there any among us who knows how long. There's only one man who knows. 
There's only one man who knows how long this condition will continue. You know what God? God shut him down in Kerit. Why? Because they despise the word of God. They despise the house of God. And therefore God has no prophetic voice to speak to them. He shut him down. You wouldn't know until famine hits how desperate we will need the prophetic voice. Because you wouldn't know which way to turn. If God doesn't speak to you, you don't know what to do. God spoke to Elijah and said, turn eastward. He heard clearly, turn eastwards. Go to Kerit, sit down there. I have commanded. I have commanded provision into your life. Once that season was fulfilled in his life, what God wanted him to achieve in his life in Kerit, the word of the Lord again came to him and said, Arise. Arise. What does he tell him in the verse 9? Arise. And what does he tell him there? Let's go back. 79. What does he say? Dwell. Not hide. Dwell. He says, dwell. Every word is important because only when you are in that situation with God, every word can make a difference. Hide and dwell are not the same. You don't hide in Zarephath, you don't dwell in Kerit. There are a lot of people dwelling in Kerit. They are so comfortable and they have already decided this is where I am going to stay. God said this was for a season to hide you, to get rid of your weight, but you are dwelling places somewhere else. The words are different. Dwell there. But the provision is for a completely different source. Because I am telling you, even today there was a prayer request about fear. The fear of provision is what makes you do most things. Nobody is pursuing what God wants them to do. They are pursuing provision. And they pick and choose their careers and colleges and everything according to that. We are provision driven people. Not God led people. But there is a God who says I have commanded. So everybody is scrambling for food and water. One man is sitting happily drinking water. And ravens bring. One raven comes with bread. Next raven comes with meat. Drops. Next will come. I don't know how much provision they brought. But they brought for him every day. Morning and evening. Did you see? You can get used to carrot also. So verse 7, what happens? In verse 7. And it happened after a while, the brook dried up. The brook dried up. It doesn't say the raven stopped. It says the brook dried. Brooks, rivers, water is important in the word of God and in the world. Hyderabad is a wonderful city now in these past seven years because we have plenty of water. Did you see two things that happens now? Power never goes, water never grows dry. Plenty of groundwater, plenty of manchira keeps on coming. Water is life. You can survive without food for around 70, no, 40 days. You cannot survive without water. 
cannot survive without water. And the Spirit of God is called water. They all drank from the rock that followed them, which was Christ. Many are living in a dry and a parched place. The brook has dried. They are not drinking of the Spirit anymore. And many of you, I look at your faces, I can know by the time the benediction is over and you get out of the door, the message is forgotten. It will not make any difference in your life. Because you still have not surrendered and your age is irrelevant. You still haven't surrendered. What you have is convenient obedience. Not costly. Not costly obedience. Very convenient. Until you know Jesus as Lord, not just Savior, as Lord, He can never direct you. And you will be swept by the flood that is coming. And it is coming. Nothing can save us from that except God. Nothing will be swept away by the flood. The pressure will be so much. Like if tens and thousands of those who had no illness fully strong went and took the vaccination because they had no strength to say no. More than that, money is coming. Education is coming. You will see all your friends in your offices and everywhere in a few years' time all have taken a Neuralink chip and you realize, no, we don't need you. You can take your pink slip and go because this one is 100 times better than you. Why don't you take the chip if you want a job? It's coming. I'm not joking. It's coming. They already started calculating how many millions of jobs will be lost as AI takes over. Do you know how many IT jobs have been lost in India in this year? It's counted in hundreds and thousands. They won't let you know. People have been laid off because they don't need you. Machines work better than you. And you want to work better than the machine? Be part of the machine. You don't have this. You won't come through. One man came through. His name was Elijah. There was Ahab. There was Jezebel. And they were the sorcerers and the magicians who ate at her table overpowered the whole nation with sorcery and witchcraft. And one man stood them and they couldn't do anything to him. You know why? Because his obedience was costly and not convenient. I'm not a prophet of gloom and doom. I'm just telling you what is written and what is happening before us. His brook dried there are many waters in the Bible, the waters of Mara. People complain because the water was bitter. The waters of Meribah, the waters of affliction, the waters of gall, the water of life. And for Elijah, Kerith went dry. Think about it. Sent by God, appointed place, obedient servant, brook dried up. And you see that, what do you say? The brook hadn't dried up. Elijah's ministry would have dried up. He had a God-appointed ministry in another place. The only way God could make him move 
was let this dry. Dried. He's not a disobedient man. He's an obedient man. Extremely obedient man. We don't understand places and situations in our life. Isolation is only for a season. For what? So that we are cut away from that self so that God can send us to people. That's ministry. Send us to people. Who is there? God is asking. Here I am is the answer. Like I told you, you know, when you went to Seoul, meet, meet all the young people. Everybody is learning a foreign language, not to go to Harvard and Princeton and all those places. To go where? Kyrgyzstan, Turkmenistan. To do what? Student mission. What are you going to do? Join that college. You'll easily get Join the college. And what will you do? I will earn a degree. In the meantime, try to witness to my Muslim friends. Costly obedience. What about your career? Career will follow. Costly obedience. Everything today is on salary. People are unhappy. Bible says, do you have clothes on your back? Yes. Do you have faith, food on your table? Yes. Are you content? No. Why? Salary is very less in the company. Pay, pay package is not appropriate to my skills. How are we different from the world? How are we different from the world? What is our mission? What is our mission? Oh, I have a vision. No, sir, you don't have a vision. You have ambition. You're confusing one with the other. Ambition is of the self. Vision is given by God. The vision given by God to Elijah is to turn the hearts of these people back to God. But you are not ready for that. First you go to care because you have some dead weights to get rid of in your life. You have certain things which I have to chip off before you can be ready. Because you can get comfortable in Kerith too. But there is a woman. There is a widow over there. And a son dying. I have to send you. Because when we get so comfortable and isolated in a place and after some time we will think, okay, every day the raven comes. My brook is not drying. You know what? I must be special. I must be special. Everybody's brook has dried. But my brook hasn't dried. And the ravens come every day, morning and evening. Delivery is on time. You start thinking, I am special. God says, no, you are not. You are obedient. And obedience is for a purpose. I need you to go to somewhere else where there are people who are suffering. A lot of people, I'm telling you, a lot of people in Christendom, you see them, they have no compassion for anybody. One thing written about Jesus is that whenever he saw the crowds, he had Compassion. You know why we don't have compassion? We are so caught up with ourselves. We are idolated, worshipping ourselves. Most people you meet are more worried about a pimple that comes on their nose than somebody who is dying on the street. Honestly, they worry about those things. And Elijah can fall into that bracket. Become like that Pharisee. 
I thank God I am not like that man. Remember his prayer? I am not like that man. We don't realize the world outside is desperate. That is why one mystery is there in the Bible never revealed. What is it? No man knows the day and the hour of his coming. He says, let every generation live in the light. Today is the day. Let me honestly tell you. It's 11.42. If the Lord is coming at 12 noon, all your priorities will change. Yesterday I was alone, like I said, I was alone in the office from morning till evening, reading my mom's diary. And I was down, I was really, really down. And I asked this question. Why did she go through this in the last eight months? Because she went through a lot through eight months. And he said it. She needed it, you needed it. You both needed it. She had to completely come to that point where she had reconciled herself with me. And I wanted you to reconcile with your mother. She needed it. You needed it. Both of us. Because I had lots of issues with my mother. But you wouldn't know how the last year, especially the last eight months, was absolutely different. That was so upset. I didn't want to let her go. I don't think ever in my life I have loved my mother the way I loved the last eight months. I, it was like a reverse. She was no longer the mother and me, the child. It was the other way around. She was the child and I was the parent. I, every issue was resolved. Morning and evening, the first thing and the last thing was always her. And I told her at 10,000 times how much I loved her. And I kissed her like a mother does with the baby and kissed her all over and said, I love you. I love you. You are not going to die like this. You shall love. My love you, Allah. I love you, Allah. I love you. You know what? We have issues. We don't realize the only thing that matters is relationships. And we're building lives with our relationships. No time. I heard yesterday, I don't know how true it is, I heard through the grapevine, one of my siblings elder siblings, asked his wife, will he go and take care of my mother for 10 days? She said, nope. Another one was asked, will you take care of my mother for 10 days? She said, nope. I didn't take care of my own. I put her in the nursing home. Why should I take care of your mother? But you know her? All day. I look at my mother's diary. Good morning, Father. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Santo, that's what she calls me. Santo came at 5.30, gave me my coffee and eggs. Elsa gave me, came afterwards and gave me her oats. Then she writes, Elsa has gone out. She, you didn't let her go, no? Last last she would say, Elsa, don't go. Don't go, don't go. Stay with me. Where are you? Stay with me. Come down. Stay with me. You just sit here and pray with me. And you look at the journal, no? It's a person's journal and the person is no more. And you look at the journal, you see names mentioned over there. Mentioned over there. Okay. A record 
of your history in somebody's journal. I'm asking is what are we building? What are we building? What are we building? I told you, you know, same thing happened with my father too. My mother was working. My mother was still working. Father retired. He was a spoiled man, spoiled by my mother and his mother. Men were never allowed to enter into their kitchen. My father had never entered into his mother's kitchen all the days of his life. He had never seen the kitchen because they were not allowed to enter the kitchen. So he had never seen the kitchen. Then my mother took care of him like that with all the children and all these duties. Then he retires and comes to Kerala and he has to build our first house. He doesn't even know how to light the gas or heat water. And I'm starting my MA first year. He has never eaten outside in a restaurant. He doesn't know what to do. I don't know what to do. How do you live? How do you live a man like that? My father, mother is in there, 3,000 miles away. My college is 80 miles, 80 kilometers away. Not one kilometer, two kilometers. I said I have to take care of him until something else is done. I traveled 160 kilometers every day to college back and forth. My bus was at 7.25. Before I left, I'd made my father's breakfast and his lunch. And his breakfast was dosa, and his lunch was rice, avial, sambar, and fish curry. All done this, and pounded this, and made by this. At 7.25, I reach back after 180 kilometers, go to the market, clean the fish, and make. That's why I can cook well. I can cook well. Everything my mom cooks, I can cook, because I cooked for my father. And I cooked for my mother. And today everybody wants people to put into nursing homes and old age homes and all. Are you thinking those things, thoughts? Your content of your character is how you treat your little ones, inheritance from God, and your older ones will be judged. There's a widow that's dying, and a child is dying. Elijah, you are getting too comfortable at Kerith and his brook dried up. Brook dried up. The toughest call was on Thursday. Yes, it was Thursday. Rushed ER. They looked and said, cases, we have to tell you the truth. Chances are very little. This is what we can do. But very slim chances she will make. But if we have to do something, we have to do these things, make all these interventions, she will have to go into the ICU, she will go have to go into the ventilator. And it, you see ventilator charges, this is the ICU charges. Chances? Slim. What do you do as a son? What do you do? Said, put her on the ventilator. Put her in the ICU. And I will sit beside her. I'm not going to stand there and say, it's okay, let her die. You have to take calls in your life. It cost me a packet for one day, not one day, for five hours. But when I stand before God, I want to stand without guilt. I did my best for my mother. 
You want to live a life without guilt. This is not about career. This is not about money. This is not about success. This is about life. And every one of you, if Jesus tarries to come, will have to take those calls in your life. Maybe it's about your child. Maybe it may be about a parent. You will have to take a call. Is my career or my child more important? What is more important? When I stand before God, is he going to tell me, wow, you had a wonderful career, you would say you sacrificed. Your obedience was costly. But you raised up a child and protected the child and gave your time for the child. Or for your parent or like my wife, for a mother-in-law. And I look at things that happen in the last stages of a life. I see it's how God ordained. <laughs> Two Nepali kids come to take care of my mother. Mother is a tough lady. <laughs> She's not an easy lady. I'm not whitewashing. She's a tough lady. I can understand why she is tough. She doesn't put up with nonsense. Because she never put up with nonsense in her own life. So she doesn't like sloppy people, lazy people. The only thing, person she was challenged in her life was my wife because she says, you are hard work, more hardworking than me. And you have these two Nepali girls who come over there. One is a Christian, one is a Hindu. By the time few weeks were over, the Hindu had become Christian. And they loved Allah. And Allah loved them. Suddenly you have the kid who came as a Hindu, 20-year-old young kid, Sitting every day by her feet. One knows how to read, the other doesn't know how to read. Sitting there and reading her Bible to Amma in Nepali. Do you know why? You, you wouldn't understand why it is so different. Because it's so different for me and my mother. Because 30 years of her life, she grew up in that community teaching their kids. So that face and that language was a comfort to her. Did you see on Friday the people who came for the service at home? Half the crowd were Nepalese. They didn't know her, but they came. Did you know how many scarves they put over her? And God was telling me, you know what? 30 years she gave her life for that people. When she's dying, they will give her respects to her. I will send them. She laid down her life for them. And they were there. I didn't expect any one of them to come. Suddenly I look, half the crowd have come. They didn't even know her. But they represent a community she gave 30 years of her life. You know? I'm telling you, there are things which our generation, young generation, you are running after pleasure, running after entertainment, running. We are not allowing God to chip us off this sloppiness and laziness and self-worship and idolatry. John's final words in the gospel in the first epistle is, little children flee idolatry. Idolatry. You know? So women need to grow up. Okay. And become mothers. A heart of a mother. Not just birth babies. The heart of a mother. The heart. And men need to grow up and need to heart of a father. Go read 1 John. There are children, young men and fathers. Now about the fathers, only one thing is written. They knew him from the beginning. They understood his heart. Elijah is being transformed. There is no record of Elijah getting married, having children, 
But God in Cherith is making a father of him. Israel has a king, but Israel does not have a father. Elijah will become the father. That's why when the separation of Elijah takes place, the chariot comes and Elijah is taken in a whirlwind. What is the cry of Elisha? My father, my father. Before the last and the terrible day of the Lord, he will turn the hearts of the children to thee. That's what God needs. He needs fathers. He needs mothers. It is not about birthing children. It's about heart. And that's what happens at Kerith. The self-life is cut away. Our children don't need more money, more clothes, more toys, more education. That's not what they need. They need more of God. And more of your time. More of your time. More of your time. Our fathers and mothers did a better job with more children than we do with few. And better resources. We have everything. <laughs> everything. I show my wife sometimes a video and says, this is the way dosas were made earlier. I said, this is how I did. This is the left hand is to pull that in. And then you took. This is the consistency for dosa. This is the consistency for Italy. It's not the same. Sir, so we never went to this thing or ordered batter on Swiggy. We made it. We made it. There was no phone, no YouTube to learn cooking. You watched your mother and learned. Today, mama is Swiggy. Swiggy mama. Watch over your children. Let them eat what you cook, what is healthy. The days when we grew up, if you ate in a restaurant, there are only two reasons. One, you are out of town or your mother doesn't know how to cook. It was an insult if you ate in a restaurant. It was an insult. You go to all the old towns, you will see the restaurants are where buses pass by and the bus stops, right? Nowhere else. Old days. Where the bus passes by, where the bus stops for passengers. A local going there and eating is a disgrace. They will go for tea. But to eat there is a disgrace. Today children eat things which are only outsourced from outside. Mothers have forgotten what cooking is. Whatever you put in the head, the body has to carry. The body is unhealthy. Doesn't matter what you put in. It will go down with it. Mothers, learn these simple lessons. Learn to hide in Kerith. There is no fame there. There is no glory there. There is no much fellowship there. It is an isolated place. But... When you come out of Kerit, we'll have a genuine ministry to the dying, to the ignored, to the weak, to the miserable. You know what you will do? Your word will feed them day and night until the famine stops. Their children may die, but you have the power to raise them back to life. Do you know where that came from? Because you allowed God to work in you at Kerit. You circumvent Kerit. There is no Zarephath. There is no power. There is no life. 
and you will never reach Carmel where you will be able to resist the powers of darkness and stamp them under your feet. There is a pathway ordained by God and that is spirit and that's where I believe most of you are struggling. You don't like this cutting away. Cutting away. Cutting away. Elijah's great, 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 great spiritual grandfather's name was Abraham. One day God will come to Abraham in Genesis 17 and verse 1 and says, Abraham, walk before me and be blameless. And to walk before me and to be blameless, I have an ordinance for you. What is that? Cut away. Circumcision is instituted. Cut away. If you don't cut away, you will never be able to walk before me and be blameless. So tonight, go home, go into your prayer closet and ask the Lord, what is in me that you want, that you dislike? If you are sinning, repent. But people who are not sinning, carry weights. Carry weights. Lord, what are the weights that I'm carrying that will not cause endurance? Would you get rid of it? This morning, we will stand up. We will stand up. It's surreal, no, Pastor Vijay's conference was already arranged. Otherwise, probably he would have spoken. I didn't know whether I would have been, I would have spoken today. But this is what happened to me 27 years ago when I lost one of my children. It was also a Thursday. <laughs> Mom also went on a Thursday. That day also the pastor called me and said, Friday you are supposed to lead worship. Can you? And the Lord said, you will. Again, moment on Thursday, and I wasn't, I was the first time I wasn't sure. Even last night I said, Lord, will I be able to? And I'm really down. Really, really down. Amma went. Like, asked my wife, the kids. Those kids cried and cried. You wouldn't believe after you all left that Thursday night, you all left home. Salome and Asma slept on the floor next to Amma saying, we will not allow Ammachi to sleep alone tonight. Till morning, they were sleeping on the floor next to the coffin, the freezer box. How can we allow Ammachi to sleep alone her final night on earth? Such nice, committed, simple people. They howled, they cried. And they went home yesterday and our house is empty, just two of us. It's like, what happened? House is empty. Amma is in there. Because our life revolved around Amma. Morning till evening. Wake up. I called a thousand hundred times. Avi Amma, Avi Amma, Avi Amma. And so they rush back. Amma is not looking good. Amma, Amma, Amma. We'll get used to it. Because we are not people without a hope. A people of a hope. Right? That's why when you face these things, you value your salvation. Then you realize the only thing that matters is, Lord, let our children, our grandparents, our parents know you. Because you cannot lose them then. Can be separated from them. You can never lose them. Put that at the priority of your list. And say, Lord, I am an obedient vessel. What will it take me from you to see my loved ones into the kingdom? Here am I. They are lost. 
I am not. Surrender your lives. Not for a career. Let God give you a career. Not for a profession. Not for success. Not for anything. Lord, there are people in my own household who are perishing. And I am the only witness. Would you allow, Lord? Would you allow, Lord? Ultimately, the only thing that will matter are souls. You take nothing with you to heaven but souls. Daniel prophesies, those who turned people to righteousness will shine like stars forever and ever. Those who turned. Let that be your prayer. That be your prayer this morning. Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. We want to thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, Lord. We want to thank you for your incredible mercy and patience and love with us, Lord. This morning as a son, Lord, I want to thank you for my mother. That you watched over her and you safely saw her through, Father. And the last eight months, physically, yes, suffering, but the most peaceful days of our life, Lord. It was so manifest, Lord. She became calmer and quieter and there was peace on her face. Visible peace. Even when her spirit departed, the peace was still there on her face, Lord. I thank you, Father. Nothing more we ask of you, Lord, that all our loved ones, their name should be in the Lamb's book of life. That's all we ask. For everyone standing here, for every unsaved loved one, I pray, touch them, touch them, touch them. The world will pass away, the lust thereof, but he who does the will of God. And it is not the will of God that any man perish. But repent and come to the knowledge of Christ Jesus. There are so many standing here today. They have so many in their homes who do not know you. And I pray, touch their hearts. Turn their hearts. And empower each one to be a witness. It doesn't matter who they are. A son, a daughter. A son-in-law, a daughter-in-law. It is a daughter-in-law who brought her mother-in-law into the kingdom, Lord. And I pray, Lord, it doesn't matter who they are, let your love flow through them. And they come through into thy kingdom. One thing and one thing alone will matter. It is written in Revelation 20. Anyone whose name was not found in the Lamb's book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Only one thing mattered. Was the name there or not? And I pray the joy of everyone standing here is to find their own names and the names of their family members, their loved ones in that book. Thank you, thank you, Father. Once again, I thank you for everyone for their love and concern and service for my mother, Lord. Bless them and keep them. We thank you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen, amen, amen.